the second time. Amazing talent. <clears throat> I am not alone. We are not alone. You know, as I was preparing this message today and did not know that song was being a part of it, it reminds me that we are not alone. And why are we not alone? Because Jesus understood us. He was once one of us in flesh. He once walked like we walked. He once sweat like we sweat. He ate like we ate. And he knew us. Personally, he knew us. And he knew how we would react when he left us. And so, knowing that, he provided for us. He promised us the Holy Spirit. He said in John chapter 14, the 15th verse, he said, if you love me, obey me and my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. And in verse 26 of that same chapter, he says, But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you and remind you of everything I have told you. See, Jesus knew us personally. He knew how we would react. He knew what we needed. And he provided that through the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, it's a helper. Jesus said, I will send you a helper to help you along the way. And in helping you, it will be with you and upon you, and it will help enable the way you think about God and righteousness and godly living. It'll help you think about the way you think about others in love and grace. And he says it will help you Think about the way you think about yourself, because you certainly need it. What we think controls us, and we are people who have minds that can think and process. We can think godly things, or we can think wrongly things. The Bible says, for he, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so our challenge is to control our thoughts because our minds control our life. Before I get too far into this, I'm going to go ahead and give you an update so that you're not thinking about something and starting a bad rumor about me. It's nothing I've done, so don't get concerned too much. But I have accepted a new position in the National Guard. I am still a National Guardsman, and I am going to be assuming command of HHC 121 Infantry out of Winder, Georgia. And I've been doing change of command inventories all week preparing for this. So this time next Sunday, I'll be standing out in front of my formation assuming command. But what does that mean for the church? Absolutely nothing. Seems I'll still be here Monday through Sunday, however we do that around here. And I will still be just committed to my one week in a month and my two weeks a year. Sometimes I'll have to do some extra stuff. But ultimately, I'm still going to be here. So I don't want you to think when you hear somebody say, I'm taking command, that they're leaving. I'm not leaving. Nobody has relinquished me of this command as of yet. And the pastor still sends a paycheck to my box. So I'm not gone yet unless he tells me to leave, which I hope he does not. Because I really enjoy being here. But I don't want you to think 
in that way because I truly enjoy serving the Lord our God. This has just been the highlight of my life. Granted, my military stuff is fun too. But God elevated me to this platform at some portion of my life. I never expected it, never saw it coming, and I am in more than humble to have this position and be able to serve in this position. So this is where I am. It's where I'll stay. God let me, <laughs> unless he calls me home, which you don't want to say. But the last couple of weeks, our pastor has been preparing us in the church for a new change of mission. As we are preparing to be more community-minded and evangelistic in our communities, serving those in the neighborhoods within one mile radius of our church, we are going to get uncomfortable. We're asking you for your talents and your abilities and your time so that we can go meet these needs. Because quite frankly, they're not coming to us here anymore. And in most churches, they're starting to get even lower in their attendance and their membership. And churches are starting to close their doors because they can't continue to finance the electrical bills. And that's a sad reality of our communities. But it's happening. So we are going to go and do what the very first apostles did. And we're going to leave the confines of our comfort zones. And we're going to go meet them on the mission field within our own community. We're not going to get on an airplane, a train, automobile. We're just going to simply walk there. And believe it, we have a lot of people that had needs that we have never even thought that we could meet. And so we'll start in these surveys soon, and then we'll start the work progress. But we've been preparing the membership and the church for these next phases of our mission. I preached on laying down your sins. The pastor preached on judging others. And today we're going to talk about something just as important in your life that you have to be in control of or it's not going to matter very much about when we go out to meet the needs in our community. And that is taking control of your own thoughts. Now the brain is a very powerful muscle. And yes, it's a muscle because mine is working really hard right now. Yours has the luxury of just listening. But it's a very powerful piece that God has given us. If you just simply think about what you are experiencing right now, your brain is computing at a rate that no supercomputer can mimic. You're hearing, you're seeing, you're sweating, you're smelly, you're processing all these things that I'm saying. Some of it makes sense, some of it does not. But your brain is powerful. Scientists cannot mimic this. And it can get messed up really fast. You ask Butch at Damascus Road how quickly the brain can be messed up at a young age by drugs and alcohol. He'll give you a long scientific list of all the things that take place inside the brain chemically. Serotonin levels, endorphins, neurons. I'm not a neurologist, but I know all those words go to the brain. We also know when the brain stops working, the body dies. And it's important that we protect it. 
It's why we wear helmets in softball and football. Sometimes we wear them when we ride our motorcycles. But it's an important piece to us. We protect this. And what goes on inside of it is this is important because it has the ability to think things. And when it starts thinking things, it can start doing things to the body. Starts reacting to the body. And the body starts doing things physically. And so it's a vital part of who we are. Now, God gave us this for a reason. And he also gave it the ability to learn, to make decisions. He didn't make it a robot. He didn't say, this is all the programming you're going to need so that you can walk around. I love God today. He gave you the ability to choose. You can love God or you don't have to love God. It's still a gift from God. And it's still part of who you are. And so thinking is important. If the, man, if the mind is trained on the evil desires, it will do evil desires. If it's trained on godly desires, it's going to do godly desires. And we see that there's an instance in the Bible where Paul is having to write to a group who is in conflict with the way they think. And so he writes the book of Colossians. And let me go into a little bit of a history moment for you about Colossians. Colossians, Paul wrote this particular letter when he was in prison, possibly in Rome, on house arrest. And he's hearing reports about these areas that he's had influence over. And though Paul never went to this church, he is a direct result of it because it is a convert that he converted in somewhere on his missionary journeys. And so we see Paul writing to the Colossians in love and passion, and he's writing to combat several things. First, he's having to correct some of the errors in the church. Some of the teachings that were going on, some of the thought processes that were being given to the people and say, these are the way you should speak and talk. And it wasn't right. It didn't match up with the gospel. And so Paul writes to them, and he's writing particularly about the heresies. Now, the heresy that was in this particular area was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is the Greek word from knowledge. But it had three fundamental errors that were in, 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 in conflict with Christianity. First, it taught or thought that God had kept secrets from the believer. That he gave you just a little bit, but not all of it. And when I read the Bible, and I don't know if you've memorized the entire Bible, there is a lot in here that I don't know. And it's probably because I haven't studied as good as I should. And I don't have the processing in my brain to memorize it all. But until you have memorized front to back Genesis to Revelation, and you decide at that point that God hasn't given you enough, then come tell me what's missing. But there's still a lot in here that we have yet to discover. And Paul reminds them at this time that Jesus gave all the knowledge that you and I are going to need. While we're here on earth, if you need more, pray for more. Ask for more, and it will be given to you. More wisdom is what Solomon asked for. Second, it taught that the body was evil. 
Now, in that meaning, it's saying that it thought that matter was evil, the body itself was bad, and that's why it starts to decay and break down. But the spiritualism of, it, of us, the God's in the spirit, was good. Now, that doesn't make sense if you say that God became word in the flesh. And Jesus was God. Was Jesus bad? Jesus never sinned. How could Jesus be bad? So therefore, preaching that matter and body is bad is conflicting with Jesus being the Son of God. It's even more confusing when they went on with this is that they believe that Christ only seemed to be human and that he wasn't actually in human form. But yet we know by the books and by the Gospels that Jesus walked and talked and spoke and healed and ate and did all the things that you and I do. And when he died, he died a physical death, bleeding from every portion that had been opened in his body, like me and you would do. And he died on that cross and was laid in that tomb. And three days later, he was resurrected into his body, which is why we can't go to the grave of Jesus and look at his bones, because that is no longer there. It is resurrected. It is a living body. And he is still in his living body. He presented his living body to 500 plus his, the followers. And when he was carried into heaven, it didn't say that he just dissolved and was transformed into something else. It says that Jesus ascended into heaven. That body is very much the same body he's in right now. And when you and I leave this earth, we will be put back into a heavenly body. So bodies are just as good and they're not evil. So therefore, Paul also has to combat these heresy teachings. In Colossians chapter 2, if you want to open that, if you got your Bibles, we tell the youth, if you got your fake Bibles, that's your phones. If you got your fake Bibles, you can also open that app to Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. And, and we're going to continue to talk about taking control of your thoughts because the Christian believer has to have control of his thoughts. Because the brain is so intrigued with learning, we have to control the programming that goes in it. And yes, you are being programmed. You're programmed every single day. Something you're seeing is changing the way you think. Now, where do these things come from? Well, in order to avoid the wrong thinking, we first have to know the wrong learning. And so Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. 
For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, Paul starts off this whole conversation here in verse 4. I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you. Paul was very concerned what was being taught. And he's very concerned, and I am very concerned today, about what you are learning. You can't say you're not learning about evil desires in today's world. Because you can't say that you don't watch TV. Almost everybody here probably watches TV or listens to music or looks at a magazine or has an iPhone. But we are programmed daily by the TV. You know, the TV is, 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 is probably the greatest tool that Satan's ever had. Because he didn't just start off with putting all the evil stuff out there to begin with. It kind of happened over a period of time. He made it so that you just got very complacent with it. That it, you just got numb to that fact that things happened. And, you know, I, I can't say that I don't turn on the news every day and see that where somebody was killed, somebody got robbed... There's been another major political down spiral turn. I can't say that something didn't happen in the world because the news is full of it. And you know what? And I I find it shocking today that I don't get surprised when I hear about somebody being killed in our local area. You know, when I look at the news and I say, sudden such got killed, all I can think is, well, that happened in Atlanta. It doesn't happen here in Newton County. I don't care. Or... It could be a little closer to home, like Rockdale County. Well, it's in Rockdale County. We're in Newton County. Still don't care. When it happens in Newton County, the first thing I do is look at where the address was, and the things I might say is, well, that happened across town. Don't care. Death, murder is nothing to us today. We're so complacent with it, like it just happens. Like it's part, That's part of life. Everybody gets murdered. But it should floor you and I when we hear about these things. These things are... Major commandment breaking times. <laughs> Thou shalt not kill. And yet we hear about it daily. Hourly, if you have CNN on your phone, it's, it's, it's just like it's nothing to you anymore. You know, I can remember when we might have been shocked when, when if, 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 if the news reported about a transgender in the public school system. Now it's just, we have to make a house bill for it. I'm just shocked at what we've gotten numb to. Our music, we're numb to it. I mean, you, you turn it on, if you're not listening to 104.7, you turn on any other station, it's, it's just full. It's full of stuff. Act this way, do these things, be this me. Dropping money everywhere. It doesn't drop at my doorstep. But we're, we're, we've gotten used to it. And it's almost, we're so used to it, we can't even distinguish it anymore, the evilness in our society. That's how numb we've gotten. So we've been programmed to accept it. And we should be in defiance of it. Paul goes on to remind them in verse 6. He says, now just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. He called them to consider A little bit more here, though. He says, as he continues down in verse 7, he says, Now let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. He wants you to continue to learn. Once you started following the fundamental basics of being a Christian, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to learn more about him. Continue to be taught. Continue to learn. 
Continue to pray. Continue to come to church. These are important things. You're not going to go strong if you don't have the word in your heart. And so he tells you, go down into the roots. Get down into the soil. Get it in there and build upon that. And then Paul goes on to continue to describe about their thankfulness about it. He said, you will overflow once you've learned all these things. You'll start to overflow with thankfulness. Blessings that come from God. The love, the grace, the mercy, the patience, and all the forgiveness that comes behind it. Paul identifies the next thing in verse 8. He says, don't let anyone capture you with the empty spiritual powers of this world. Rather, those that come from human thinking or from the spiritual powers. Now, he's identified the nature of the attack here. Because Satan cannot separate you from God. He can't do it. He doesn't have the authority to do it. Once you are a believer, you are a believer forever. And there's nothing he can do to stop that. He can't go into the book of life and erase it. He can't send God an email, take him off the list. He's not coming. Once you have been put there, once you have accepted, you are his forever. But... Satan can get into your mind. And he can do that through programming. And he can do that through deception. And he does that here in verse 8, where Paul is having to tell them, watch out for these empty philosophies. Watch out for this Gnosticism thinking. Watch out for the nonsense that comes from human thoughts. Watch out for the spiritual powers. He identifies Satan as a spiritual power here. And then in 2 Corinthians, if you'll turn there, the chapter 4, Paul continues on. He says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is only hidden from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see that glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this, the message about the glory of Christ, who is an exact likeness of God. And then down in the 11th chapter, he continues on in verse 3. But I fear that somehow... Your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. The deception's taking place. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, she walked with God. He also goes on, he says, You happily put up with everyone tells what anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So he's planning. Constantly planning in this mind of yours. And this is the battlefield at which we are on right now. Because physically we can do all that stuff. Physically we can combat if we need to combat. I've seen our nation's military. They're very powerful. They can fight. But up here is where the mind in the battlefield is taking place in the daily life of the Christians. And up here is where we're losing. Because up here he's done a good job of doing things to this mind to make you think that you're not worthy. He's done a good job of getting you off the path. He's done a good job of saying you're weak when you know you should be strong. You know, as I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking about controlling my thoughts and not letting Satan get into my mind, it's so easy how he can do that. For men, and I'm just going to say it, a picture of a woman that can take you down a dark road. It can just roll on with it. And that just kept happening to me. And I kept having to go back and say, these are not the things I'm going to think about. 
I'm going to focus on the word of God. I'm going to focus on what Jesus did for me in my life. And he just kept doing that. And if he does it to me, he can do it to you. And when you look at items or objects and you think, man, I could do something with that. He's taking you down that dirt road, that dirt road of destruction. And he's organized with this too. Now, this is, this, listen to what I'm saying here. Because I have laid down a lot of sins. Some of y'all laid down some rocks of sins a couple weeks ago. But I've laid down my sins. And they have been forgiven. I know they have been forgiven. But for some reason, Satan is really good at saying, did he really forgive you for that sin? Did he really forgive you? Maybe, maybe he's going to bring it back up on you. And you know what? How dare you think you can be a Bible school teacher? You know what you did in your past? And you say, well, gosh, I asked for forgiveness. Oh, that's what you think. You think you've been forgiven. Now, you and I know scripturally we've been forgiven. We know we've been forgiven. But he loves to bring it back up. He loves to recall past stuff. And I got a friend of mine when we were all in Germany. And, you know, and, and, uh, if you've been to Germany and you've been to Frankfurt particularly, uh, you know that's a pretty wild and crazy city. And there's a lot of things that's going on in there that, thank goodness, don't happen here. But uh, it, it does. And he was an indulging in that. He went through that all the time. He dealt with those areas, those bad areas. And now he's saying, you know, my marriage seems to be affected because I keep recalling what I did. I said, you got to lay it down. I can't lay it down. That's what he tells me. I can't stop. You can stop. That's Satan bringing it back up. If you've asked for forgiveness, it has been forgiven. It has been put to death. That's him recalling. And he'll do that to the believer for the rest of your life. He'll keep recalling these little things in your life. Because he does not want you to be effective. He does not want you to preach the word of God. He does not want you to go out and witness to people. He does not want you to be a living testimony. He wants you in place in a dark area where he's got control of you with your mind. Why, you can remember things you did 40 years ago, but you can't remember what you did things five minutes ago. He's good at these things. And there's only one way to stop that, and that's to combat him with the word of God. It's the only defense we have against that attack. So in Colossians chapter 3, Starting at the first verse, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is in you, reveals it to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly, lurking things within you have nothing to do with them. The sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idler, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world, but now is the time for you to get rid of this anger, this rage, this behavior, this slander, the dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. So Paul is specific when he tells us, 
to set your mind on things above. You have the Holy Spirit that enables you, is with you and upon you. That does not mean you're to neglect the life that you have here on earth, but you are to accept the blessings and the richness and the joys and the love that you have that have been blessed by you and the thankfulness by you. But you are to put to death the earthly things lurking within you. The King James Version says to mortify, but either way it says death. And when you want to, when you want to visualization what death is, at some point, if you're a member of this church and you choose to have your, your funeral here, one day we'll roll your body down here in a casket and we'll open it up, we'll speak to it, we'll sing to it, but ultimately you are dead and you're not coming back. And that's the same exact model that Paul wants us to have, God wants us to have, when he says, put that to death. The things that you're doing, stop, kill it, get rid of it. Don't resurrect it. It is dead. Bury it. I'm not going to bring it back up. The deceiver is going to bring it back up, but know that it is dead in your life. Stop doing these things, Jesus said. He says, I forgive you, but go and sin no more. Don't continue to do the things that you like to do a part of this world because you have been forgiven. You have got a new life, and in him you are to be like. And so, therefore, we ought to change our way of thinking about our anger, our lust, our greed, our self-worth, and lay it down. And if you say you can't lay it down, you're fooling yourself, and you know that you can because the Scriptures say you can. When you set your mind on godly thinking, you'll start to see that attitude happen. It'll start to take place in your life. You know, when I was at... When I, <laughs> When I was in the Army, I probably didn't have the best speech. And it seemed like my, my, my dictionary wasn't that long. And I used a lot of foul language. But when I came to know Christ, those things, and I knew Christ at a young age, but when I really got to know Christ later in my, in my adulthood, and those things just started, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't who I was. I just couldn't do certain things anymore. It didn't fit. And the friends that continued to talk that way, it just bothered me. I just... I just never could understand. Like, man, do you have to talk like that? Yeah, yeah, I, I cuss like a sailor, don't I? Like, that's something to be proud of. But I'm like, no, I, I just, I can't do it anymore. And I had to walk away from that life. And you'll start to do the same thing as you determine what you're going to set your mind on. And those things should be godly things. And you should guard what you think. Because we do are, we do have that weak mind. Lastly, you have to determine what decision you're going to make. And when you're thinking about things and thoughts pop into your head, you should, be able to, you should start with this question. Where will this thought lead me? If I act on it, where is it going to take me? Is it going to take me closer to Jesus? Or is it going to start backing me up from Jesus? And when you're asking that question, where will it lead me, do these thoughts line up biblically? And when you have the Holy Spirit who indwells upon you and is upon inside of you, and you think these thoughts, and it starts to notch your stomach up like a bad burrito from Moe's, you're going to know for a fact that it's not the thought you should be, you should be having dwelt on. Deciding what not to do is just as important as deciding what to do. These things are important to what you decide. Paul says, you have to decide. You have to put to death. That's a decision. And you have that power to make that decision. Just the same power you had to forgive others. 
You can forgive them or you don't have to. Bible says you're supposed to. Bible says you're supposed to love them. In fact, Jesus said, love your enemies. That's a hard thing to stomach for those people back in those days. Love your enemies? Love them Romans? You know what they've done to us, Jesus? They have killed half our population. They are ruthless. And you say love them? And love everyone else? No way. Jesus said love them more than you love yourself. Decide on that. That's a decision. You have the ability. He gave it to you to think. We must defend ourselves with the word of God. We have to. It's the only thing we got. We got the Holy Spirit within us. We have to be able to tell the difference. And you have to decide. As our vocalists start making their way up, I'll start finishing up. You know, when you make this decision, I want you to think about this analogy. When I heard it, it really applied to me. It says, you sow a thought you'll reap an action. You sow an action, you'll reap a habit. You continuously do it. You sow a habit, you develop a character. You reap a character. You become your habit. You sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. And if those areas in your life are ungodly, your destiny will be in an ungodly state. And you'll follow those evil desires. If it's the reverse, your destiny is exactly what God intended for you and I to be. Glorified in his highest. Lifted up. We must defend ourselves from the thoughts that we have in our mind. And listen to this. Unseen thoughts will produce visible consequences. Listen to what I said. Unseen thoughts will produce visible consequences. I'm blessed every day with the face that God gave me, that it's only I know what's behind here, that you can't see it. Because if we had one-eye projectors that projected our thoughts, a lot of us would be highly embarrassed and mortified. And I'm thankful that he allows me to be able to have that control in this mind, and he allows me to get out, get those evil desires out and replace them with his desires. And me and you are no different. We all think. And just for a split second, it can pop in there and take you down a dirt road. Or you can replace it with the word of God. 